Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play. And download archive editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Cheryl Whitesick. Executive Director of the Minnesota Future Problem Solving Program. Founded by creativity pioneer Dr. E. Paul Torrance, Future Problem Solving Program International seeks to develop the ability of young people globally to design and promote positive futures using critical and creative thinking. Future Problem Solving Program International involves thousands of students annually from Australia, Canada, Great Britain, Hong Kong, Japan, Korea, Malaysia, New Zealand, Portugal, Russia, Singapore, and the United States. And last year, Turkey and India were welcomed into the program. Our guest today, Cheryl Whitesick, and her husband also run a small business from their farm in southern Minnesota. Cheryl Whitesick, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate having the opportunity to join you today. Well, and great would you to like have me you on? Well, I was going to say it's great to have you on to share uh, information about the future problem-solving program because we've certainly talked about it in other places and contexts, and but yet, even though it's been around for a long time, I think a lot of people still don't know a lot about it. So in addition to what I, I said about it in the intro, tell us a little more about what what you're doing, first of all, in Minnesota and what it's doing throughout the world, as I mentioned. Again, thank you for having me. The Future Problem Solving Program in Minnesota has been growing a lot over the last, well, especially interest has grown since the No Child Left Behind, and a lot of that because of the opportunities that were taken away from the classroom. I will say you asked about what's going on in Minnesota. Minnesota is one of the states that have been excused from No Child Left Behind, which is opening the doors even more for future problem solving to enter the classroom, in the classroom, and out of the classroom. Future Problem Solving Program teaches, as Steve said, kids how to think, not what to think. We have what's called Global Issues Problem Solving that is a competition for kids grades 4 through 12. And I'd like to tie that in because we're talking about creativity and play. And as we all know, kids love to compete. We love to compete. We have Action-Based Problem Solving. That's for grades K through 9. And that is provided in the classroom and out of the classroom. We have a curriculum. We have community problem solving. We have scenario writing. Future problem solving is student-centered and action-oriented. It can be applied across the academic curriculum and within different curricular areas. We also, it also involves teaching and learning of processes and provides opportunities for students to apply process tools and methods to real-life problems. And that's an important part of, of learning and engaging and, and having fun. And that's the relevancy. How many of us took classes or studied things and said, why are we doing this? And when we ask kids, what do they want to learn? They say, we want to learn about the future. We want to learn about real life things. And so this is our opportunity to do that. Global Issues Problem Solving involves four, members, four member teams, and they research up to five different topics annually. Uh, under the guidance of a trained coach, students 
learn to master the FPS process, the six-step model, and apply this process to what we call a future scene. This future scene is based on a, a scenario or a, a short story that is just one page, page long and is often as much as 50 years into the future. They explore challenges and they refine their, refine their creative and critical thinking skills while they focus on a problem area. They produce solution ideas, they generate criteria to evaluate the solution ideas and develop an action plan. Uh, students apply generating and focusing skills while working cooperatively and collaboratively in groups. Community problem solving is, well, that focuses on existing community and global problems. Teams or individuals explore local issues and select a project relating to any of uh, a number of categories, for example, environmental concerns, human concerns, uh, human services, civic or cultural issues, health concerns, and education. A junior team, uh, for example, in New Zealand created the GRIT kit that build, uh, and in order to build resilience in students as they transition from elementary to middle school. This kit contains information on gaining resilience and helpful ways to cope with the problems encountered as they grow up. That team also released this kit to the world and they've given free access to it and at some point we could even provide the website for that to see exactly what students, what kids have done. Scenario writing encourages creativity uh, and allows an individual writer to create a futuristic scenario based on one of the five annual topics and they are allowed to develop and polish their creative writing skills as they create a 1,500-word scenario that's placed at least 20 years into the future. Action-based problem solving, again, I mentioned a little bit earlier, has a primary division for grades K through 3, a junior division, grades 3 through 6, and a middle division for grades 6 through 9. This process uh, explores authentic concerns in the local community and prepares students to take positive action. And I appreciate, Steve, you mentioning that it helps students to develop their own positive futures. That was such an important part, uh, component uh, as Dr. E. Paul Torrance develops the Future Problem Solving Program. So you've, you've described a whole bunch of pieces that are ways that schools and kids and communities can get involved with using future problem solving. So can you talk a little bit both about the fact that in, in many cases this is an after-school program so that there's, there's like a lot of other after-school programs, there, there's clubs and groups of, of students that work and have adult advisors. What happens in that and how does that feed up to the international gathering that happens, I believe, every two years, correct? Oh, it happens every year, in fact. Yes. Every year. That's exciting. Oh, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Yeah, as you said, first of all, it can be done in the classroom and even in the classroom. We have uh, actually two schools in Minnesota who are doing it in their in the classroom, and the one school actually uses it, uh, participates, I should say, in the competition. Most often it's done as a pullout for the younger kids, an after-school or a before-school program where – uh, a teacher or a volunteer parent even is trained in the future problem-solving process and they're trained to coach and teach the process. In and Minnesota, that's something that, that community members too sometimes 
get involved with in addition to parents to become coaches and help? Absolutely, especially in the community problem-solving component where uh, an activity or a a project is developed for them to carry out within a community. So, yes, it absolutely can be someone outside of the classroom, whether it be parent or teacher. They, if they're, whether they're doing the global issues problem solving, the community problem solving, or the scenario writing, they meet on a regular basis. And again, that depends upon the age group, where they are, what, what component that they're focusing on. No matter which component they're on, we want all of them to learn the six-step problem solving process, and we want them to develop their cre- creative thinking skills. And so in Minnesota and I, I'm just going to talk specifically, other affiliates run it similar and they may have different numbers of times they get together. But in Minnesota, we offer a practice problem, one we call it. And in fact, this year, to give you an example, the topic is culture of celebrity. Students will meet with their coach, they learn the process, they learn how to research the topic, and then they are given a what we call a future scene that as I mentioned before, is a a scenario, one-page scenario that's written 20 or more years into the future. They work off of that to brainstorm challenges, to develop an underlying problem, to brainstorm solutions, to develop criteria, and then to which leads into their action plan. That's submitted to us for evaluation, and we give them feedback on their work. While we're working on that, they're headed to the next problem, which some affiliates call practice problem two. We call the qualifying problem because we require that in order for the teams and individuals to be uh, eligible to compete in our uh, in our regional competition. Our qualifying problem is robotic age this year. Everybody then that has submitted that qualifying problem is given an automatic invitation to regional competition. We hold six different regional competitions on a particular date in uh, February, and uh, they go to those different sites. So that's the first time that they get to do that. They go and they meet other future problem solvers. The coaches meet other coaches. The parents meet parents from other schools. And the teams get together, and they have their competition. The regional topic in this coming February will be megacities. I do want to mention, while I'm talking about these topics, if these these are student-driven, the students suggest these ideas. They write descriptors. They submit them to the international office, and we take them as affiliate directors. And our job is to not eliminate their ideas, but to say, okay, we've studied a topic very similar to this maybe two years ago, and we want to spread out when these topics are are done so that if a student's in future problem-solving for eight years, and many of them are, that they're not researching the same topics over and over again. From the regional so they, topic, they're, oh, they're, yes, so go they're ahead. competing after school and at the state level and regionally around these shared themes each year, and then ultimately... What happens when they all come together when at at the at the international gathering? Yeah. So let me just say, from regional, X number of teams go to state, and from state, X number of teams are inter, 
in divided to internationals. At regional, state, and international, they do their written work, and except community problem solving, who submitted all of their project information ahead. It's judged. The really neat thing about internationals, when we get to that point especially, and we actually do it at our regional and state, is we have what we call a presentation of action plan. And that's the, their opportunity to do a little bit, uh, a short skit that uh, tell how they would carry out their action plan. And, of course, most kids love to just really have fun with that. At internationals, wow, what a gathering. You ought to see it. We have a tremendous opening ceremony where uh, we have representatives from each state and country carrying the flags. We play there the national anthems, have a wonderful opening. And we actually start out our international opening with awards because at that point we already know who our scenario uh, champions are because they have to be written ahead of time. Um, the next day is the are all of the competitions where they have the written competition and the presentations that I mentioned. That's the oral competition. And they live in dormitories because we hold it on college campuses. They have lots of time to interact. Oh, one thing that's really fun that's outside of the competition is everybody brings items from their state or their country to swap. So if their parents are in a business or from Minnesota, everybody loves to bring a cans of spam that they swap with other students, and that's how they interact and start getting to know each other. We have what's called a swap meet, or, but trust me, this goes on because everybody likes to swap up uh, <laughs> throughout the conference. So it's it's just an amazing time. And we have the opportunity to see these kids actually perform. The scenario winners read their scenarios, and so we get to see them read it with not just the way you and I would read it on paper, but with the emphasis that they have meant to have within their writing. Cheryl, uh, I am always interested um, in what leads anyone to what they are passionate about and involved with in life. And I notice on your emails you have a quote written by yourself in order to make a difference you must have purpose absolute passionate purpose which i think is very wonderful and um intentional and so from um myself and steve would like to ask this question about what is your personal philosophy of playing creativity, and then what led you to become executive director of future problem solving, which is a big thing to take on? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, wow. You know, I, I just really believe that play is it's, it's what defines us. It's the voice of our character. It's, it's our guidance, guiding spirit. When we partner creative thinking up with a child's ingenious play, and I think every child's play is ingenious, we create the conditions for self-actualization. I believe that creative play creates self-confident learners. And that's so important. We have so many learners out there that just don't feel confident in themselves or in their abilities. and. They don't have a sense of their own mission in the world, and, and uh, when they have that sense of mission in the world, they can merge 
their desires with the needs and wants of not just themselves but others. I believe so, it created plenty. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so is some of the desire in you to play and uh, to help others to have that in their life um, part Ab- of what absolutely. led you to be, a, be the executive director? Absolutely. Well, creative play I, merged with the critical thinking, I think, helps us to prepare us for the real world. And I really wanted to say that piece because that's so much of my passion. I feel like as a child, um, I didn't get to play a lot. And it's just because of where and how I grew up. And I had no vision of what the real world was and, and how big it was and the opportunities in that. And Yes, I'm absolutely passionate about teaching kids how to think, not just what to think, that as creative, critical thinkers, they'll become leaders who are self-directed and self-disciplined people, and people that will be more uh, readily and easily adjusted to change because, oh my goodness, life is about change. So in terms of me getting there, I just really want everyone to understand that I started as a volunteer parent. I was asked to be an evaluator for the program. I I was a very serious stay-at-home mom. Uh, now I'm a very serious stay-at-home grandma, <laughs> and I that's that's very important to me. That's first in my life. But I said, yeah, sure, I'll give this a try. And it didn't take too long when I saw what really connected me with future problem solving was, one, seeing the level of work that students were doing, and number two, that this level of work was dealing with real-life situations and real-life challenges and and the fact that the students were directing the topics that were being covered each year. And so to make a long story short, it wasn't too long that our local school district learned that I was doing this, and they asked if I would coach. Well, of course, first of all, I said, well, I don't know how to coach. I'm an evaluator. I was talking to my old fifth and sixth grade teachers who didn't take that for an answer. And sure enough, before long, I was coaching. And I volunteered as a coach for our school district for 19 years. At the end of that 19 years, our youngest son graduated, so that would be in 2003. And I... Prior to that, I'd been asked to be on the state board for Minnesota. And so I was an evaluator. I was a coach. I was on the state board. I actually had become their treasurer for the program. And a wonderful opportunity came forth, and that was uh, a gentleman who had received an inheritance and said, I don't need this money right at this moment in time, and I would like to... Uh, loan that to the Future Problem Solving Program, and I'd like Cheryl to be the state director. Wow. And so the timing in my life was good because our youngest was going off to college, and I said yes. And I've been highly motivated through the years. Uh, there's there's times, you know, all of us, where we say, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I can keep this up. I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I can keep putting this time into this. But then I see students coming back to future problem solving. Uh, in fact, half of our board and, and over half of our evaluators are future problem solving alum who come back and say, I use this every day in my life. I think creatively. I 
I think critically, I have my job, or I decided on which college to go to. I had one student who emailed or sent me a postcard who said, I'm in Finland because of the confidence that I got and the skills that I learned in the future problem-solving program. And so that's why I'm passionate, and that's why teaching creative and critical thinking skills is my passion. That's very impressive, the the part about the, the students coming back to become board members and what uh, their involvement in future problem-solving has led to in their life. And I, an additional question, many actually, but an additional one right now is, who can you name a couple of your mentors who might have been integral in bringing you into future problem-solving? Let's see here. Just a couple. Yes, it is sort of like, where do I start? Um, The very first person was Eileen Daly, who uh, lives in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I live just 20 minutes from La Crosse, Wisconsin, so I actually started working with the Wisconsin program. She was a volunteer parent, and she was an evaluator. Um, Next, I would say the encouragement from those fifth and sixth grade teachers of mine, uh, Mr. Mullins and Mr. Grippen, who really said, you can do this. From there, it went to a phone call to uh, Paul Anderson, who at that time was our state director. And he was a great mentor and a great teacher in the process. And uh, from there, I just really have to say the encouragement, the, the relationships that I've developed with the international program. But I have to say, I cannot forget or leave out uh, Dr. B. Bleedorn, who passed away just a little over a year ago at the age of 99, who was a tremendous mentor, teacher, cheerleader, encourager. That woman, if she wasn't hearing from me, well, I, never did she give me much more than a week to not hear from me. She would be emailing me or giving me a phone call and saying, what's going on in the world of creativity? What are you doing? And it was B who actually introduced me to Steve and many, 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 many other connections that we keep making. And, of course, then Steve introduced me to you, Mary Alice. So the circle just keeps going. And, and speaking of mentors, we mentioned in the introduction, and you mentioned earlier Dr. Paul Torrance, who started the Future Problem Solving Program, and we've probably mentioned him a few times in the almost two years we've been doing the show. Uh, and the role that he's played in the whole field of creative education. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about him and, yes, and he was, his link to future problem solving? Absolutely. I should I should have actually mentioned him, I, and probably because I only actually had the opportunity to meet him on a couple different occasions. Surely his work has been a great inspiration. Um, he... Actually, yes, he created, he designed the Future Problem Solving Program because he he said he did a lot of studies, I should say, in the 50s. And as a part of that, he realized that our greatest, our most gifted students were bored. We were were losing them. Uh, Many of them were doing, you know, jobs that were below probably levels that they could have done. Uh, They were quitting school. Many of our gifted people are in prisons. They go the wrong way. They they are creative, but they haven't really been directed toward accountable creativity. 
Dr. Torrance said, we need to do something. We need to engage these kids. And so he developed the Future Problem Solving Program. There's actually the Torrance Center for Creativity in Athens, Georgia. And uh, Athens, Georgia, it sounds like we'll be hosting our international conference uh, in 2014, so just a couple of years away here. But Minnesota was very fortunate. Unfortunately for me, I was just a little bit late. But our first, first coaches in Minnesota were trained in the future problem-solving process by Dr. E. Paul Torrance himself because he was working on a project in Minnesota at that time. And that's actually how he, B. Billy Dorn, was a student of his, and that was their connection, and they became great friends. And so, again, that circle just keeps growing and growing. But... Uh, Again, it, he worked very hard also to try to get legislatively money for the future problem-solving program. He was ahead of his time. It didn't happen. We're not there. But it is now growing in schools, and I know he would be extremely excited to not only see that we've taken this uh, process that he developed from an academic competition, which is our biggest component, but that we're also teaching it into the classroom because, as we know, everybody needs the opportunity to learn creative and critical thinking skills. And I should say, during the 50s, he proved that creative thinking could be taught, and that was huge because even today we have people that think you're either born creative or you're not. And so thanks to his research and his work, we have the data to prove that creative thinking can be taught. Cheryl, how does um, future problem solving affect the teachers and parents who are involved in oh. the process? I'm going I can't to be brief with this. I could tell so many <laughs> stories, but I'm going to tell you one of my favorite, and I've heard it in different ways, shapes, and forms, but just last fall, we, I trained a brand-new coach in the high school. He teaches history, or political science, I should say, and history-type classes. And during uh, the training, I always do a little bit of, because there's a variety of desires for the coaches. Some want to just coach it as an after-school program. Some want to also embed it into their curriculum. Two weeks after that training, he emailed me and he said, Cheryl, I've had the best two weeks of teaching in my life and I've been teaching for 15 years. I embedded the process and I had the students brainstorm possible challenge and they looked at a, a piece of politics locally and came up with an action plan. After 15 years, that was the best week he'd ever had in the classroom and he was still very new in learning how to use the process. Families. I have coaches. I have a parent, for example, I have a different one, but one that I actually talked with yesterday, she's talking about coaching again this year. Her daughter graduated from high school, goodness, four years ago, and she came on because she was concerned that it wouldn't keep going in their school. She's learned the process herself and says she uses it in her work, and she's coaching kids because she so believes that it, what the skills that her daughter learned in the program, she wants to make sure that other children are learning. So parents, parents also, I love this because I had two parents email me yesterday and said, 
we would love to host some of our international guests for the conference next June. So they're already thinking about the next international conference. They stay involved. No, we are we are near the very end, but I want to make sure you tell people how they can find out more, get involved, given that we're at the start of a school year, or if a community or others want to also get involved, as you mentioned earlier. How can they find more information or start a local group for future problem solving? Absolutely. Um, in a minute. Yep, I got it. If um, they are outside of Minnesota, contact www.fpspi.org, and you can check on there to what affiliate you are, and it will have an email and a phone number to connect with them. You could also call 1-800-256-1499. If you're in Minnesota, contact me at Cheryl at mnfpsp.org or go to our website at www.mnfpsp.org or you can call me at 507-482-6867. But whatever you do, just type in Future Problem Solving Program and you'll find us. Well, thank you so much and thank you, Cheryl, for joining us on Creativity and Play. Cheryl Wentzick is Executive Director of the Minnesota Future Problem Solving Program. And our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and coming shows at creativityandplay.com and find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Goldberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you, Cheryl, one of my favorite playful people, for joining us. And thank you for having me.